Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't already, you can like the podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch or subscribe on iTunes. You can email me at Josh at MyFirstSketch.com or follow me on Twitter at Josh High False. Today's guest is Rich Lee, currently a member of the Flat Earth and formerly of Fun with a Pickle. He brings with him a sketch taking place in a courtroom. Rich Lee will play the prosecutor. Julia Hudson in a stern voice is the judge. Julia Hudson in a playful voice is juror number 12. I play the defendant and give whatever visual information you need. So let's go to the sketch. Judge at bench, prosecutor at desk, fiddling papers, defendant on stand, prosecutor looks at defendant and approaches the bench. Mr. Phillips, you are being charged with murder in the first degree. How do you plead? No. What? I said no. No is not a plea. Sure it is. Have you, have you ever seen anyone plead for their lives? No, Mr. Phillips, please don't kill me. What? I, your Honor, please, he did not enter a plea. Yes, he did. I said no. That is not a plea. It's not? No! Really? Yes. But you just said it. Because it was in the correct context. You lost me. Oh, for God's sake. Mr. Phillips, just say guilty or not guilty. Okay, which one means I didn't kill the guy, dismember his body, bury most of him in my backyard, had his head placed on the mantle with a Swedish mustache painted on by a Sharpie, and sometimes I shoot ping pong balls at it? <sighs> not guilty. Oh, sweet. Can I go now? Ooh, are we done? No! Is your plea guilty or not guilty? Which one is... Not guilty. Hmm. Not guilty. Bring the jury. Enter the jury. Eleven of the jurors enter solemnly, while one is a little with a little more excitement. Hi, Todd. Um, excuse me. Juror number 12, do you know the defendant, Mr. Phillips? Uh, no. Mark, they don't like that answer. You have to tell them not guilty. I think they're French or something. Oh, okay, uh, not guilty. No, that, that's not an answer you can give. Uh, then what is the answer I can give? You can either say yes or no. Uh, jury, you will be asked to find out if this defendant is yes or no. No, they have to find out if the answer is guilty or not guilty. I thought you said not guilty was not an answer. <laughs> these are fun. Let's do these every week. Fine. Moving on. Now, Mr. Phillips... Did you kill Jack Watson? If I say yes, will I be in trouble? Very much so. <laughs> then no, or <laughs> not guilty. Why did you say it in that manner? Because you're French. I'm not French. I thought he was French. He sounds French to me. Oh, and how do I sound? <laughs> I'm going to bury you. Use hefty. What? Hefty bags when you bury someone. Try the flex fit that you can fit more parts in. That's true. When I buried my dog... Your Honor! May I continue? Sure. Okay. Yes. Proceed. Mr. Phillips, you say that you did not kill Jack Watson. So where were you on the night of June 14th? I was at Jack's house. Wait, no. Dude, dude, stay at my house. My house. Wait, no. Uh, say at your Uncle Jerry's. They won't know he's dead. I was at my Uncle Jerry's. Okay, but isn't it true your Uncle Jerry is dead? Dude, he's like a French psychic. I'm not French! Juror number 12, I will restate my earlier question. Do you know the defendant? 
I will restate my earlier answer in French. Ho, ho, ho. Not guilty. Your Honor, may we please have the jury remain silent until the end of the trial? Jury, can you please put yourselves on vibrate? Thank you. So, Mr. Phillips, where were you exactly on the night of June 14th? Um, um, Mark begins to pantomime what Mr. Phillips should say. The answer is fixing my aunt's Volvo. Oh, I was fixing my aunt's Volvo. Dude, I know we could do it. Uh, the prosecutor turns to look at Mark, and Mark acts as if he's just stretching and not celebrating. Well then, why were you fixing your aunt's Volvo? I'm tired of these questions. Let's go to lunch. Mm, that sounds good. I am quite hungry. No! Don't you mean not guilty? <laughs> we are in the middle of a murder trial, Your Honor. I'm tired of these questions. Let's go like football. We are not playing football. Oh, yeah, the French prefer soccer. Your Honor! Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking about my sandwich. What was the question? Do the French like soccer? No! Not guilty! I thought they did. We are not playing football. We are not playing soccer. This is a murder trial, and there will be questions. Okay, then. What did you have for breakfast? You can't ask me questions. Oh, that's unfair. No, it's not. Your Honor? He is right. What? I'm not the one on trial here. Oh, yes. Let's not scorn the French. I don't believe this. Are you going to answer the question? No! Not guilty! Shut up! Well, I want to know. I'm hungry, and I'm looking for ideas. Uh, oh, fine. I had a breakfast bar. I knew it. Knew what? You didn't have bacon and eggs. I don't like bacon. What kind of man doesn't like bacon? A communist! A French communist? I'm not French! Uh, everyone looks at the prosecutor. Or a communist! Mr. Phillips, is the sky blue? Yes. Do chickens lay eggs? Yes. Are fire trucks red? Yes. Does steak come from cows? Yes. Did you kill Jack Watson? Yes. Aha! I knew it! Your Honor, did you hear that? What? Uh, I, I'm sorry. I was thinking of steak and eggs. I, I think Denny's has a grand slam with it. Your Honor, the defendant just confessed. Did you? No. What? He said not guilty, remember? Shut up. Your Honor, you believe this man? Of course. Why? He put his hand on a Bible. What? I did. But he's obviously lying. To God? I would never. Oh, and what makes you think he wouldn't lie to God? Because God would smite him. That's true. Oh, blow it out your ass. Why don't you believe me, Your Honor? Well, you didn't put your hand on a Bible. Unbelievable. Your Honor. May we please have the court stenographer read back the defendant's last few remarks where indeed I shall prove he admitted to murder. No. What do you mean, no? Not guilty! Shut up! Your Honor, why can't we have his testimony read back? Uh, I sent the stenographer home. You did what? You offended her. How did I do that? Her father is an American pig farmer. What has that got to do with anything? You said you hated bacon like a communist, so he was no longer impartial. This is ridiculous! Not guilty! I didn't say no! I want to go outside. I want a sandwich! Oh my god! Enter an ice cream man. Ice cream! Ice cream? Case dismissed. Hey, Rich. Hello, hello. 
All right, so tell me where this idea for the sketch came from. Um, God, I got to reach way back because actually when looking this up, I found out it was written, we first uh, created in Microsoft Word, time stamped in 2008. Wow. That's uh, nice. Yeah. out time ago. Uh, yeah, a little, little, little bit ago, but it was the very first sketch that uh, my buddy Kenny and I wrote when we were first uh, brainchilding our first group that got me into the sketch scene, Fun with a Pickle. Okay. That's uh, who I remember. And, uh, and yeah, we just kind of sat down, and I think it was based on, he was a big, not saying that I'm not, but he was a huge, huge Kids in the Hall fan. Okay. Uh, so much so, this is a kid that when we actually met them at the Keswick Theater, I've never seen this kid shut up so fast and turn beet red in my life. We all thought there was something wrong, physically wrong with him, but it was because he was like in awe of his comedic heroes and just was like, wow. So he's big man, Kids in the Hall fan. And so it's really funny because I know what show you're talking about. The Keswick show? Yeah. I could not talk any of my friends into going with me. What? So I didn't go. It was one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. Because like that was like the first time they toured together, like as all five in a long time, wasn't it? In a very it? long time. And what, what, what I loved about it uh, was that it was totally, everything was original. I mean, they brought back recurring characters. Right. But it wasn't like, let's go around with a best of set from the show. Right. It was all 100% brand new sketches brand new intro like it was absolutely because brilliant so all right back to the sketch because yes i, don't think I know i know we're going it's easy to get me on tangents so anywho so kenny being a big fan of kids in the hall he uh loved one of their uh one of, uh, it was one of the courtroom sketches i forget which particular one but his but it was about a guy lying on the stand i think it's kev mcdonald playing the character and he's just mm -hmm. lying his ass off on the stand and it's the whole thing you know you put your hand in the bible etc etc and they say, sir, are you lying? Well, I wouldn't want to lie. Not to God. <laughs> and just mocking the whole thing. And he goes, I want to write a courtroom sketch. Mm -hmm. And we said, all right. So we kind of sat down and it just, we just started free forming. Like what, what is a silly? And like we, once we had the intro, we just love that kind of like start because it, it got, we felt it got people right into it. And it just starts and then just snowball. It just snowballed from there okay. of like just wackiness to where we had uh, another character, the jury come out and the jury juror knew him mm. and all that kind of thing. And that was that silly character. So we had like these four characters bouncing around, you know, the prosecutor being the straight man. And then you, and then everyone else, like we had the judge being the kind of aloof idiot, like in a higher place character. And it just became we decided to throw in all these like cheesy old school jokes like the old like. uh like uh, he's a communist and all those like old stereotypical mm. jokes just for that sort of really quick old school style. Cause I, I kind of have a little bit of place in my heart for that kind of old, uh, right. old juxtaposition of like either slapstick or uh, really old stereotypical, like quick wit humor mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Uh, Cause as I said, I grew up with the three M's of comedy, Mel, uh, Mel Brooks, the Monty Python and the Marx brothers. So, I, it's like a variation. Is that the actual? Like, is that an actual thing, or did you just make that up? I just like, made that up. Okay. I just call it the three M's of comedy. I, I was like, three M's of comedy. Who the? Who are? What's that? Like, <laughs> I've never heard that before. That's my invented euphemism because it just kind of worked because there it's all uh, alliterative. Well, it, it takes. Um, what? So then, how did you think you could write sketch comedy? Like, what? What was that impetus of like, hey, um, let's try this? It kind of came out the fact that he and I. Like I always loved performing. I'd, I'd been performing since high school. Okay. Um, at this point uh, in my life, it was uh, like around 2008, 2009. I decided I wanted to get back into acting. I was in bands. Mm. I was in a couple original bands and kind of bounced around a little bit because just like anything, like even a sketch comedy troupe, like anything that's a group of people, you got to find people to click. Yes. And I apparently had the 
I guess, misfortune or fortune to experience every band I was ever in where the guitar player and bass player eventually got into a fist fight and that was it. Okay. And it was always those two. So it just kind of was like, all right, I, I guess I tried to do it on my own. I was like, I really miss performing. And I thought to myself, you know what? I, I was at a crossroads in college at the time but when I, for before I jumped into bands and said, all right, I want to p- be an actor, but I like music too. What should I do? It just so happens like a buddy of mine who plays bass is like, called me up one day and says, yo, I want to do a band. You want to do it? I was okay. like, you want to front it? I said, cool. So you were the, the lead singer? Yeah. Of yeah, I, was, I wrote the lyric, most of the lyrics for stuff, and I was the front man, lead singer for, for any of the bands I was in. Hmm. So I, I did that for a while, and just it, it wasn't clicking, and it wasn't like progressing the way I wanted. And I thought, you know what, let me just go back into acting, go into performing, and just try to do that, and go back and memorizing lines. And at the time, I'd been friends with Kenny for a couple of years, and we initially met when I started at MMR in 2006. And he always had it. We always were the kind of sillier ca- uh, crew members. Right. And very much had, he and I had a very somewhat similar style. He was a little bit more racy than I was okay. at pushing buttons and pushing boundaries, but that's just the way he was and how he looked at the world. Uh, <coughs> and it, he had a very different perspective. It wasn't like aggressive or to be mean. He just liked to push envelopes because he likes to, he loves to test waters. Mm-hmm. And I liked that about it. And one day he, he had always written sketch comedy with, um, Friends of his that started out actually as a punk band and became a sketch troupe called Worst Cop. Okay. And we love that name, but we ended up not using it for another one of their friends. We're like, well, I uh, that's our band. That's our name. And got this whole right annoyance about the name. But they had always written it, but then never wanted to perform it. And Kenny would be like, I'm ready to perform. I want to go do this. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, uh, but they, they'd love writing it, but they wouldn't love performing it. He wanted to do both. So that's when he and I started talking. And I said, well, let's do this together. You and me. Let's see what we got. Let's just find out because I had grown up, you know, with a like like uh, a dream to be on SNL. Like some, I some say like all kids have. Like well, I don't know, all kids have it, but not all kids. But not all kids, but there's a lot of kids that, that I used to. I grew up watching like the original, like plenty you know, of kids. Yeah, like the like the original, even the originals. Like I, I got my surprise gifts at Christmas were seasons one and two on DVD. Mm-hmm. You know, I I loved Saturday Night Live. I adored Saturday Night Live, and I wanted. I'm like, I want to be there. I want to. I, I want to do that. And I had never really thought I'd always written some stuff. I'd written some fiction and, and d- had creative writing classes at Temple and gotten some good reviews from teachers um, about more of my the fiction that I wrote. And I thought, well, what's what's a sketch if it's more like writing it like a play? It's like a short yeah. little play that that you just have to encompass a little bit of everything and get like your joke, your premise and kind of yep. see what's funny and, and, and do it that way. So uh, he and I just said, well, let's just do it. We really had never done it, anything like that before. I mean, he had kind of written sketches with his friends, but he didn't know if they were going to work or if the style was good or if anything about it was correct because he never went out and did it. Right. So I said, let's do this. So at that point, you're saying, let's do this. Let's, let's go perform. Mm-hmm. What, where are you performing? Like, what, how, like how, what, what, what's your plan at that point? Um, uh, re- performing. Really, it, it was just gonna be. Uh, I, I was. It was kind of just like shoot from the hip with us. We were just gonna write a bunch of things, and he's like, "There's got to be places. Like, there's got to yeah. be." Because he was ready to do like open mic coffee shops. He didn't care if it was music. He said, yeah. "Let's just go up and do it. Let's just go up and do it there." But we got lucky when when just kind of searching around the internet, and we found SketchUp or Shut Up. Okay. Yeah. And when that was started, when that was going on at the Shubin, and still going on today, which yeah. is was a great kind of space to go check out the scene. And we, that's when we found out that I was, we were like, holy crap, there's a lot of people doing sketch in Philly. Like, there's a lot more 
than we even thought or that we're still doing like shows or yeah. doing things of that nature how to get connected and at the t- timeline like you you were saying 2008 at one point like this is probably this is probably 2009 it's now going to 2009 because 2008 we started writing our first sketches probably the end of 2008 okay this is now going into um was meg hosting still uh, no or had brian already taken over this no this was meg because this was this was meg at the shoot okay. and still doing sketchup or shut up um and this is actually before i probably even met brian yeah probably um and we just kind of just started throwing stuff at the wall and bringing out a couple of sketches here or there. And then we found out about Bedtime Stories. Okay. Hosted by Greg Gethard. Who I just had on. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, and so, <laughs> which I'll get to an interesting point. Part of me was thinking about this. I'm like, we're going to go over a history. I wonder if I should touch this. Ah, what the hell? I really don't care. So. Dude, I, I, part of this, like, I, I had this grandiose idea and I've mentioned it to a couple of people, but like, after doing this, this podcast for a little bit, I was like. I can create an oral history of comedy in Philadelphia, of at least sketch comedy in the last 15 years if I do this long enough, yeah. talk to enough people. So <laughs> I'm all for whatever history, whatever yeah. point of view. Well, this is, this is you know, more of our, our... No slander, no lie. Like, I don't want <laughs> yeah, to be no, brought no, up in the court. So if something says... If you have to say allegedly, say allegedly. <laughs> but Well, so we, so we decided to try out bedtime stories, which is... Uh, for those uh, uh, in what? the more modern era, it becomes... It's now technically theme show. Theme show, it, Theme yeah. show evolved from bedtime evolved. stories. Yeah. Was this still at, when it was at Shubin, or had it Connie's merged Rick Rack. To, to the Connie's? Okay. Yeah, still at Connie's. Well, Connie's Rick Rack was the first, because we, uh, <laughs> we, be- we did bedtime stories once, and the reason being was the first sketch we did was the sh- was for the Sugar House theme, and it was sort of like a protest show against the Sugar House. We didn't okay. personally have any vested interest either way, but it's pretty much I'm like it's a casino. It's a, there's a certain type of person. There's a it's certain type of environment. It's that a, casino a casino in a part of the city that there probably shouldn't be a casino. <laughs> yeah. So so we did this whole thing, and we we wrote a lot of stuff that was very very taboo shock value. That was one thing where like we want to we push the envelope. I mean. Uh, not to pin it all on Kenny, throw him under the bus. It was, uh, it, w- it was him definitely talking me into some of it, but then going, you know what? Let's just do it. Let's just push the envelope and see what happens. Okay. So it was me in an evening gown, and there was a voiceover. Was our third member, which was our friend Rob that he had written with before, that decided to finally come with, and perform. Okay. And Rob came on for this, and we were a three piece, and he was the overhead voice of the director doing this commercial. And it was like, you know, I had this nice. It was actually a bridesmaid dress of a friend of mine who kindly admitted uh after i was like no no i'm not gonna fit in this and he, she she just looks at me and goes honey i'm a big girl you're gonna <laughs> fit and we actually had to pin it on me and ladies as a man i totally have some sympathy for you because <laughs> having that dress pinned up it, i couldn't breathe in too much because mm-hmm. it would pop the seams and would fall down on stage and that would not have worked and that's not the point of the j- that's not the joke of the sketch that is not the joke, of the, sketch, joke of the sketch different joke of the sketch so i had this blonde big on i'm doing like the spokes i'm like it's you know we're like a sugar house where everyone's a winner every day and kenny comes out and says this horrible thing about being able to fly to thailand to get a child prostitute <laughs> Jeez. and then d- and then i freak out because i'm like it's horrible and the director goes what are you doing you ruin the take but you ruin the take pam and like Pam, but he said this like, look, we don't care what they say. We don't care what they do. They just need to come here. We got to make everyone feel like they're a winner. But, but, there's no buts. If he does that, that's out of the country. That's none of our business. Oh, and it's just like a horrible thing, but it's like, it was our point to make it that like, this is what casinos are. They don't care. Right. If someone were to go in there, like, they could say they care all they want. But if you're coming in there and spending, if there's a guy in there that could have made his money off, off of child labor somewhere 
and drops it comes in and drops a yeah. hundred grand. He's getting the VIP table. So that's the sketch we kind of did. There was a few bumps, and it was that I love my buddy Rob, but when it comes to acting, he is a little rough in line delivery. Mm-hmm. And s- I f- we kind of felt at the end of it that some of his line delivery didn't hit the mark that wasn't it was what it was supposed to, to be. Yeah. And that can even change the even change yeah. the tone so much. Well, apparently, we friended Greg's wife and some of her teacher friends <laughs> oh that were at no. the show, according to the email that we got. And we tried to play nice. We tried to be. We we tried to really be like apolog. We were apologetic about it. We were like, look, we, we, this was the message we were trying to do. And we I screened it with a bunch of people, male and female, who weren't even in right. the sketching. They were just normal people. And we were like, they were like, that's great. I don't see a problem with that at all. all so right. we were like trying to, we were trying to just hedge our bets to be like, okay, who are are we really this wrong? Or might have been there a slight overreaction to the sketch itself, even though it was dealing with some very serious issues, right. which people can, you know, uh, can tend to like it. It might have been harping a little too much. So, um, but it, hey, we look at it and goes, well, Megan Rob's sketch that was the sketch right after us was <laughs> was amazing. Uh, maybe there's two people playing slots and then they're celebrating a win, a win. You won, you won, you won. And like Rob's like celebrating with her picks her out, picks her out, goes, won, you won, you won. And Meg just yells, your dick is inside me. <laughs> Jeez. And he drops her and he goes, oh, sorry. I uh. <laughs> oh, and, he goes, and she starts to walk away and goes, um, excuse me. And she reaches under her skirt and rips out a condom. Oh. And he goes, I think this is yours. <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah, thanks. Why do you have that on? He goes, I like to be prepared. You know, <laughs> and we're going like, okay, okay. Um, so, long story short, with bedtime stories, we got ghosted like an ex-girlfriend right. out of that one where we we emailed Rob to be like, hey, we want we want a chance to get back on. Oh, it's all full, but get me next month. Yeah, we'll get you in. Do it again. No, uh. sorry, I'll full again. And it just kind of came down. So we kind of looked at it as okay, okay, we get it. We all right. So you're banned from bedtime stories. Banned from bedtime <laughs> stories, which we started to wear as sort of a badge of honor. I guess uh, we kind of liked it. We just went, you know, what? we're not changing our ways. We're going to be like this is who it is. So uh, when Megan Rob took it over and it became um, the theme show, mm-hmm. that's when we had come back. And we did a bunch of theme shows over the years through the hosts when, um, like, when Steve Swan. Steve Swan and Pat Foy took over. Pat Foy took over. Um, We did that. And then even when Brian was hosting. Yeah, okay. uh, Briefly. So (coughs) we did a a bunch of the bits of theme shows, not to skip ahead a couple of years, but it was, like, over that two-year period we did a bunch because we didn't really do a full stage show until our third member change because Rob realized it just wasn't working. Mm. And he moved on, and me and Kenny were trying to do it as a duo. But the problem is, one of the ruts, as r- I guess, as kind of novice writers and just kind of jumping into it, we had one crutch we always leaned on was the two-person sketch, third-person punchline, where it was like a basically a two-person right. sketch for most of the sketch, and then someone would come out and da 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 da, and here's the line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes right, the okay. joke. I'm glad you brought it up because I. Fenwell the Pickle was around when I first got into comedy, when I first started doing stuff and started seeing shows. And I think I saw a full show of yours. Mm-hmm. And there was a very real feeling of like, every sketch has the same formula. Every yep. sketch is, yeah, has that like, that feel at the yeah, end of it. Yeah. And I couldn't shake it for a while. And I'd, I was like, okay, that's, that's their thing. Like, and it will, I, I didn't try to be negative about it. Like, oh, screw, <laughs> screw fun with a pickle or anything. But like, like, all right, that's that's how they write. That's how they do this. I don't want to do it that way. Or you know, like, 
Yeah, and, and I've learned I've learned a lot more, which we'll uh, you know obviously eventually get to with the once we get to the, my my talk of the flat Earth, which yeah. I'm currently in. But it was just that it, it just became that thing where because uh, part of it was Kenny. He he's he's very with the kids in the hall. He's two things with with Canadian comedy and even as we've as I've learned even more going up to can Canadian sketch festivals and seeing it, they're very dialogue driven. Yeah, uh, is a very big thing. His dialogue is very heavy, and Kenny was always afraid of. He was not an SNL fan the slightest bit. He he called SNL the one note joke show. Okay, where it was like here's the joke, you get it right at the top, and then okay, we're just gonna hit it on the head. Which they do a do a couple of times. They do do and. With and you, you can look at, uh, at a lot of sketches that do it, and it's not necessarily saying it's a bad thing. There's some brilliant sketches that have been written that are one joke that it just keeps you. Look at um, Phil Hartman in the Unfrozen yeah. Caveman Lawyer. Whole says, I'm an unfrozen caveman lawyer. There, I'm an, you know. Yeah, there, there's certain characters that have been done over time that you know exactly how the sketch is going to play out. Mm -hmm. Like, even, you know, like Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer, you can talk about Delicious Dish, yeah. that there's going to be those puns of yeah. whatever sexual food that they you know mm -hmm. like that is a that is a true possibility but you can't write up the whole show no i agree oh no i said i'm someone that's was a full snl -er. i yeah. i totally disagree with him i said no dude there's there's a lot of great things about it he just was he was more he liked more of, of he wanted so much complexity that that's why it ended up becoming that third person punchline because he wanted another twist right. he was like we've got all these twists and turns i want another one i want something else to do it okay. now we started to force ourselves out of it with some actually our uh, to me what i think is our our two of our best sketches that we actually shot and filmed uh with my good buddy and amazing videographer nick murphy who's been uh, doing some great things with uh incredible shrinking matt and jackie okay um he he continue show like is he yeah yeah okay. he's in the yeah, he does the continue show as well um he filmed two of our sketches one was called swat and the other was called the uh it's your day doug smilowitz okay which was two guys at a funeral and the one guy's wearing a party hat because he realizes that he read the obituary and it was the guy's birthday and they're like it's also his funeral i'm like so what we can <laughs> still celebrate and then the the lovely twist ending is that they actually don't know anybody at the funeral they're there because when everyone does the hug line they steal people's wallets <laughs> So they're actually thieves. So this guy's drawing unwanted attention to them. <laughs> but uh, but we, we started to write our way out of that. And what helped was when uh, our friend Gil came on board around late. I want to say it's late 2010, 2011. Which, is probably, which would be when I yeah. start peeking in. And, and, he, and he came in. And one thing about Gil, Gil was a great in-betweener between Kenny and I. Mm. As far as influences and style. Uh, Gil was another guy that we worked with the radio station. And even though he never really wrote comedy... He was generally had a great sense of comedy himself. He was he was a very silly person, and he and I, whenever we were working gigs together, we would just improv scenes. We would just find we would just create these wacky characters, and while we're driving somewhere, just start going off on riffs yeah. and almost like and that's how we came up with a lot of ideas. Just him and him, me and him, just kind of improving like wacky characters that like you know let's do a business commercial. Let's mm -hmm. what about these two guys in the car on their way to a funeral home, but they're really going to a construction site or just weird stuff that we'd always kind of do. Um, one of which was one of our favorite things that never became a sketch. It just became a way to annoy Kenny. For some reason, we came <laughs> up with these two guys. We loved like doing the, the stereotypical like schlub business owners, like doing mm -hmm. like, and we came up with a company called Coburn's Tiny Tables. Be okay. like, if you ever wanted a table that's like really, really tiny, 
like saying, hey, I don't want a big-ass table. I just want a table that fits one can of cola. Well, have we got the tables for you? Come on down to Coburn's Tiny Tables. We got tables that only fit a finger. Why would you need this? I don't know. It's called comfort. It's what you like. And we <laughs> Why didn't that be my thing? I don't like. know. I really wish it, I wish it did. Uh, and one thing, and this is a side note of why I love Rick and Morty, is I feel like Rick and Morty on occasion is in my brain because they had on the one intergalactic television, they had the show, the, the restaurant called Little Bits. <laughs> and it was little foods. It was like, hey, hey, you there. You want like tiny foods, like tiny things? And I'm looking at this and my wife looks at me. She goes, oh, my God. I go, I know they're in my brain. They stole my they stole my consciousness. I don't even care that they stole it. I'm happy. <laughs> I love that show. But uh, but Gil coming along really kind of opened us up. And we ended up doing we, we, we did a show. I th- we did a show with Gil, a full show with Gil. And then one of my favorite sketches that we did was during the theme show of Rock and Roll is Dead, where we did a mockumentary. And we did it about, it's called Hunted, the Search for the Last Glam Rocker. And this was done in 2011. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. Like, and we were too. It all sounds familiar, but not enough to be like, yeah. Because I, <laughs> I probably would have been downstairs. like Getting ready? Yeah. Yeah. And this was a video we did, and it was two like redneck hunters that hunt rock stars. Right, 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 right. And they're going to avenge their friend who was killed by the last glam rocker. Okay. And you, it's like done as mockumentary style, and the whole thing ends up being where they find their friend, and it's actually their friend is the last glam rocker, and attacks them. And it turns out he's like a wear glam rocker <laughs> because like the end of the sketch, like he's like, they're bleeding. Like we're going, you all right back there? Like asking the film crew and goes, you feel funny. And then it cuts to the end of it and it's them dressed all and in like rock star outfits going like, I just want to like howl at the moon and like, I just want to, I just trash hotel rooms at random. You know, like they all become rock and rollers at the end, but it was, it was the most fun we had. And it was, we, I, we, I wanted to do something very Christopher Guest. I'd always dreamed of doing it. Like we had done, the 48-hour film festival mm-hmm. uh, two years earlier, and we didn't get the mockumentary style. Right. And I was so mad we didn't draw that one because that's all I wanted to do. So this gave me a chance to do it. And we did we did improv pretty much the whole thing. Kenny was a little iffy because we, we had uh, tried to film a pilot for an, a sketch idea show, mm-hmm. which was a mixture of live and sketch that was called Syndicated. And it was three guys, like wackier versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then it would cut the then they would it's three guys that basically live their life off of what they learned on television. Okay. And all of the TV shows were the sketches. Okay. And it would relate to the the story that was going on. Um, and so like we tried to do improv with that and it didn't work. And then so when I tried to do improv again, Kenny was a little hesitant. But the show was with our friend Rob and Rob and I just didn't have that kind of just natural ability with each other that Kenny and I or uh, right. Gil and I did. When it came to just improv and characters. So I said, all right. So I wrote just a base outline. Mm-hmm. And then we just riffed for the whole thing. And it came out fantastically. And it was kind of a bummer that Gil eventually left. Um, he said it was just a matter of, of time. And so we, we begrudgingly said okay. And just kept trying to trudge through. And it just went through difficulty after difficulty. Until finally, I just I said, "Dude, we gotta put it. We gotta put it down." We did one like duo show, mm. which I remember my uh, good friend who was also on this podcast, Vince DiCostanza, who had seen that show, and I asked him when when we were in the flat earth, still when I had just become in the flat earth, I said, "Oh, what'd you think?" He goes, "It was good, but it seemed really disjointed." And I said, "Yeah, the reason why was because we didn't have a lot of just two person sketches. Yeah. So we took out of our entire library just the two person sketches and just piecemeal the show together. Okay, and it wasn't horrible." But it, it definitely 
was disconnected. The yep. sketches didn't it didn't flow as a show. Like right. shows have to have, as I've learned very much with all the stuff that I've been doing in the Flat Earth, uh, especially with our fantastic director Paul Trajani, uh, who's been awesome at really guiding us and really learning that aspect of it. That the sketches don't have to be the same, but there's the base premises, the certain styles. Sometimes yeah. things flow into another, right? And you want a natural flow for the audience. And that last film with the Pickle Show definitely didn't. And it just finally, we decided to kind of kind of put it down. Uh, obviously, we're still great friends. Uh, he was at my wedding and whatnot. But it just kind of was a sad thing where, for a while, I think it had gone on a little bit longer than it should have. Mm-hmm. It was that one thing where I was like, no, we fought and we put enough work in. And sometimes I go, I part of me wants to just keep on going mm-hmm. after putting that much work in. To be like, no, we're going to make it. It's going to happen. We're going to do it. And just finally, I just had to, you got to do that harsh realization, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like the end of Old Yeller. You don't really want to do it, but sometimes you got to go tie it to a tree. But we got to take fun, out <laughs> the, fun with the pickle out back. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, you mentioned Flat Earth. So, as you transitioned from Fun with the Pickle, we're, you, you've been with Flat Earth since, since the beginning. Since day one. Since so, the you beginning. did the initial yeah. submission packet. Well, I or was a little bit different. Or um, were you... I was acting. I was strictly the actor. Okay. Yeah, because I, I had seen the post about it when they first wanted to do... When Fit wanted to do the house, the first house team. Right. Um, I'd say they opened it to writers, and I was like, ugh. Because I just realized I, I didn't like my writing where it was. Even with film, yeah. with the, like film with the Pickle, I realized that we were getting into ruts. It just wasn't hitting where... Things weren't hitting where I wanted to hit. I just... I was like, let me just be an actor. That's yeah. why I got back into doing theater. I'm like, give me a script. I will just run. Yeah. That's fine. I will you know, I will put my own nuances on it, but I just want words. Give me words and I will go for it. Yeah, so, uh, so you you audition as yeah, an actor and as an actor, you know, brought my guitar along, even though I screwed up the Stephen Lynch song because I forgot the chords, but it still <laughs> showed that I could play the guitar. And uh and yeah, so I, I got in and we did that first uh fringe show and it was it was great. It was a lot of fun. It was a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh one of the things uh th- this might be a uh, little e- uh, Easter egg secret that almost happened. One of the first sketches we did was uh me and the very funny Jim Grammond did Jar Talk. Okay. Which is the parody of public radio show. Car Talk. Uh yeah, and so we kni- it went over really great and uh Greg Mahan of uh the head of FIP decided we should do this as as like as a re- as a <laughs> this is gonna sound funny to say a real mock show, mm-hmm. and had gotten like the website address had gotten a lot of stuff and we were gonna actually we were supposed to actually do episodes of Jar Talk uh, as um, the characters. Um, what is like I was just talking about jars? Yeah, well the like. whole the, the whole sketch was it was basically just just it was like really it was so dumb that it was uh their 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 solutions were always the easiest thing like someone would call up saying like i've got this job of jelly i just can't get open <laughs> okay. and i need to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches like okay here's what you do step one find a strong person <laughs> step two have them open the jar <laughs> step three enjoy oh thank you you are welcome that is great see we're just people helping people here we're just having a good time we're like all right we got mark from wisconsin how you doing Hey, buddy's great show. Uh, first time, long time. Just you know, just trying to figure out how to open this. Uh, I got a really jar of fresh, uh, melted Wisconsin cheddar. Um, just trying to get it open. And every solution that was that is All right. so stupid. It was so dumb. <laughs> it was so dumb. But it's like a lot of those self-help shows are just like, here's us stating the obvious. Yeah. You know, like of course you're gonna listen. You need to know. You need to learn how to do things. And we're gonna tell you, even though it's pretty much obvious. But it explains why there's why there's directions on pop tarts. Um. 
so it's it it became a thing uh, that we were gonna do, and I was really excited to do it, and it just that kind of never happened. And uh, obviously, we went through a lot of a lot of really great shows, and then um, like anything, groups evolves, groups change. Right. Uh, we had people go to New York. We had people go to L.A. We had people end up going to different groups because they wanted to to do more of the writing side. Like some of the actors, mm-hmm. like I know that's why one of the reasons uh, we were sad to see Jim go is he wanted to work. And and write with some of the people like uh, Chip Chantry that was doing for some mm-hmm. of the groups and that sort of thing, and we understood that it's like it's like all right, so let's see and and just keep on going. We want to see how this was going and keep on trudging. But basically, the five of you that are currently the members of Flat Earths, yeah, have been yeah, we're the, the o- Flat Earth since since the uh, OGs, since, yeah, yeah, OG Flat Earthers. How is how has that like how does that feel as a as an evolution between this big group that was at one point writers, actors, and now that you are the smallest of the Fit House teams, and presumably all five of you are now the writers mm-hmm. for yourselves, like how does that feel differently over the last three years, four years? Well, it's it, at first it really it, it helped because um, our voice became a little bit more defined. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is the stereotype of saying too many cooks. And ours wasn't too many cooks in the bad sense because there was a lot of really, really funny sketches. There was a lot of really funny people. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a lot of really, really funny sketches. But there wasn't really... A lot of times groups, you look at groups, there is there is a particular voice. And our voice was still so different because there was a lot of different styles. And we felt like when we finally got... I'm trying to think what was the first show. It, it might have been... It might have been even within the last two years. It could have been our. I think it might have been scrambled porn. Okay. We did the scrambled porn show. Uh, I want to say, um, but th- that was the year. That year, I remember that that was the year that we really kind of felt like, wow, like this is the flat Earth. Like this, we have. This has been every sketch was w- was distinctive, but still had a similar flavor. Like mm-hmm. it, it is like that's when like we really had the f- like the flat Earth. As as a as as what it is going to be and what it really needed to be, mm-hmm. and you could identify it. Right. You could literally look and be like the sense of a, of a sketch group having its own identity versus like, you know, if you go to a show like theme show where everyone's doing one sketch, f- the flat Earth could do a sketch, mm-hmm. but in those early days it might not have been a flat Earth sketch. Like it would yeah. have been something that like you could identify as, oh, that's their voice, that's their tone. Where now mm-hmm. you have hit that mark where the flat earth you know a flat earth sketch yeah like like within a show it all does feel like flat earth like i don't think i've ever been to a show in the last year and a half or so where i'm like that doesn't feel like what those people do like yeah and it's we've gotten we've gotten more toward that that voice because i uh, because i think the best way to put it is those early shows when it was such a large group and we had like 12 of us we were like six writers six actors the the sketches m- didn't reflect the group; they just reflected the writer. Right, and so that's what different. Where now, we do a lot of workshopping together. Okay. Like we'll write a sketch, we'll bring it to the table. All right, what do we like? What do we not like? Let's try to move some stuff around. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we'll do a group rewrite, which really adheres to that that group identity, mm-hmm. and really helps bring out the best of that sketch. And then it fits like a perfect puzzle piece. Like it's kind of like just needs to be sanded down that little bit so that edge is nice and smooth and fits right in with what we're doing for that particular show. And it's it's become uh, a really great way. It was a little nerve. Uh, I was definitely a little nervous for me, um, just because I was coming in 
and I'll say this, I, I feel I feel like I'm the worst writer of the group. And I, I guess they say if you – with any type of room with trying to become successful, don't be the best in the room. Be the worst in the room. That's why you can get the best out of yourself. Okay. So I feel like that's how I've been evolving with the group itself because I look and uh, with some of the writers in our group, like especially like to me, I always look at Matt, Matt Schmid. Uh, I think he's a fantastic writer. He brings such great things. We always know it's going to be gold, but he comes in and goes, this is going to be stupid. We're like, oh, so this is going to be in the show. Oh, this, this is going to open the show. Okay, cool. Okay, great. This is going to open the show. Got it. And he's still to the, he's still giving it now to this day. But he um, he can just crank out ideas. Like he was just boom, boom, boom. And there was a while where like I, I didn't really have a lot in the shows to begin with, to start mm. with, because I had just come with ideas where I didn't think um, a few of them I'd, re- I'd recycle I guess old ideas I had that I never got to use with Fun with the Pickle. Right. One of which actually evolved to be one of our most popular sketches, which actually was uh, Kamikaze Class Reunion from one of oh, from our past oh, show. Oh, that yeah. that evolved. That was that evolved better than I could have ever hoped it it, it, it could have went. And even like like that got praise up in Toronto. Uh, I mean that that was an idea I had a long time ago and just like it, it was like I literally just wrote out class silly class reunion ideas it was like mm. ninja class reunion kamikaze <laughs> class reunion this like and just like okay just writing riffs of really wacky class reunions but the kamikaze one I thought would be really funny and I presented that idea it, it was still uh, it was still written as a fun with a pickle idea but then I, I called it I rewrote it in a flat earth style mm-hmm. and it was somewhat similar to what you saw where it was more like after school special it was two teachers and you didn't know what was going on. There was nobody at this reunion. Right. And they was like, did we do the right thing, Tom? Like, look around you. We did the best we could. <laughs> and then they leave. And then you see the sign. And it's like they were teaching people how to be kamikaze pilots. And it's just like, this is terrible. But it was like, it definitely had, st- there was still something there. And then in like a group writing session, um, it just became that. Yeah. And it was awesome. I wasn't there for the the final puzzle piece to be put in. But uh, for me, I didn't care. I was like, <laughs> okay, that's that's something I was like, that's fantastic. I'm like, this is going to be great. I love everything about this. It's yeah. just got the weird meta opening of like us just setting a table and everyone thinking it's this meta sketch, but that's the joke. I had, I had no, like the first time I saw this and you guys are setting up and you're not setting up in the dark and you're not, you're, it's still, you know. A little bit of light. You're, a little, a little light, air. like noise is happening. So it, it doesn't feel like you're just, you know, setting. Mm-hmm. And then the joke happens and it just and it just sits there for a moment. And I was just like, oh, man, they got me. Like, <laughs> it, it definitely does work. And yeah, it's a great misdirection. And it's a great bit of, I guess it's a, a testament to the idea of collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In its best form. Yeah, that was definitely that definitely was one of the things that, that came out uh, of a great, a great kind of collaboration. Uh, the one side note of a, of a sketch where. I feel good about a sketch I wrote. I'm really excited, and this is kind of goes to the uh, the talk that always happens at the comedy world of like, who the, of joke stealing versus parallel thinking. This is the ultimate definition of parallel thinking. So as much as I said at the top of this that I was a big SNL fan, I did get out of SNL for a while because I just didn't like the cast. What like um, what era was this that you stopped? This was oddly enough, and I might even get lambasted for this. It was around um, oddly enough, I didn't really like Tina Fey okay. on SNL. She was a little bit like, um, uh, even compared to Phil Hartman, because I love Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman, I had to really start to like, I actually loved him in movies. I loved him in movies, and it made me go back and watch him and appreciate him more on SNL. Because I, I didn't understand a lot of his stuff on SNL when okay. I was growing up. 
and then loving him in movies and thinking he had just great delivery and just a great presence on cam on on films. I, I, I think that's kind of fair for me to say too, because I think I I knew who Phil Hartman was more because of Simpsons and News Radio, mm-hmm. yeah, before oh, yeah, Saturday Night Live. Yeah, but then it, like, film. just you know, age wise, that makes sense to me because he yeah. joined the cast when I was born. You know, like, <laughs> um, yeah. So, all right, so you're out with Tina Fey. So yeah, especially Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon is the worst. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's, I don't. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I wish I could fail up that way. <laughs> that's, that's so what, what what is this parallel thinking? What so, okay, so the parallel thinking was I had written this sketch. Um, it was called Butt Pregnant. Okay. And um, it's called Butt Pregnant. And so <laughs> it was this, this is a sketch we did so much work on. It was a, it was, it was a writer's day where uh, something happened with everyone else. And it was l- just me and Matt Schmidt. And he was like, he liked the idea. It was really silly. I even forget it because I put it out of my mind because I was so mad at this. We spent an hour with workshopping this sketch. We had the whiteboard. We had, like, a tree of ideas of, like, all right, if it goes this way, what could we do? We're writing down, like, okay, we could make this joke, this parody joke, this this metaphor for pregnancy and things that happen. We rewrote the whole thing. And then the next week I wasn't at the meeting. And all of a sudden I get an email, like, yeah, we can't do it. And we're like, why? What what happened? And it turns out they brought up to the meeting and um someone in the meeting said, like, this just Googled butt pregnant, because it's like, <laughs> I thought I heard this before. This seems like something that should have happened before. And apparently it did. <laughs> it was a sketch that was SN from SNL, but it never aired on television. They put it on Hulu. They put it online when they started. When they like well, yeah, they when they started releasing. Yeah, the cuts. and it was it was a, it was a cut sketch. And we watched it, and I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me right now. Are you serious? Because I I had not watched in almost a decade. And I I, was like... Yeah, (laughs) I had a similar thing where I had written something. I took it to Sketch a couple months ago. Um, And and it's based on a real, like, physical emotion that I have when I get a a phone call from my parents. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, that dread of, like, oh, my God, something happened. Yeah. And then I find out, like an onion article with the almost the exact same lines <laughs> exact same jokes beat for beat i'm just like oh damn it i like, was so pissed because i thought this was the butt pregnant i thought was going to be the first sketch that i was like because this was before even before kamikaze it was the show before kamikaze okay. so i'm like this was this was like before that and i was like i'm like this is a sketch i'm gonna like it's gonna be funny i'm finally writing a sketch that i that i really like the way i wrote it we really worked it out and it's gonna be a great sketch in the show um, because just a, a side tidbit talking about sometimes the group process, and this is to all those people there that, that when you're in a group, sometimes you get outvoted. You just suck it up sometimes. If the group is going good, you do it. Yeah. There was our one of our one of the sketches I brought to the table was called Spy Stuff, and it was a sketch I had previously written, and it never kind of ever came to fruition. It was about a guy being held hostage, like the Bond guy getting held, caught, finally caught mm-hmm. by the villain, and he's about to get tortured for information, and then the dude, the assistant runs out and literally shoots him within the, like, boom. <laughs> And guns and the guy flies back dead. It turns out the guy that's there to help him is not the original helper, but he's a temp that's been hired by a temp agency. <laughs> and he's like, just, oh, sorry, I was late to work today and I'm fumbling with the gun. And it's like, no, no, you uh, you shoot him below the knee, but first you don't start off with shooting. Oh, yeah, I got the list backwards. I'm sorry. Like, Hans left his list. So they rewrote it. And where I had written it to where the the temp was the lead, pe- technically the lead. Right. He was the focus. He was the wacky character and the villain was there to support. They rewrote it. They did a group rewrite that I wasn't present for and rewrote this whole thing and it was more so the villain focus and people loved it so I couldn't argue with it. 
but as a person who's like but idea, it wasn't your it, original it wasn't what i wanted and i really loved that original but it's the fact is it's a group sometimes it works i'm not it's like it opened the show it made it successful but uh, so anyway so butt pregnant i thought was gonna be like ha this is one we got i love everything about it we worked it out we got it yeah someone else did it are you oh shitting no. me i was so mad so now whenever we we find out something we actually just had i we just had a sketch we just dropped from this upcoming flat earth show mm-hmm. that uh our director paul had pointed out he was like i think that's a human giant sketch Oh. And Matt had wrote this sketch, and we looked it up, and we're like, "Up, oh, there we go, butt pregnant." Close enough. Butt pregnant is now our de facto title for anything that that's parallel thinking that we don't even realize. And now we're like, "Well, that's gone." All right. So you mentioned that you were a big Saturday Night Live fan. So I ask everyone. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be your tough question, I guess, Ooh, or okay. unless you already know it. Okay. Uh, who's your favorite Saturday Night Live cast member? Oh, that could be a tough, tough question. Favorite Saturday Night Live cast member. Oh. Man, I thought this. Was, I really thought it was gonna be like, haha, not gonna be hard. No, this is pretty hard. Really, because uh, this is the question I ask everyone. So if you did any homework, you should have known. I know, I know. <laughs> well, because because anything <laughs> ask the favorite stuff, I'm like. <laughs> but this thing is like, because because at first you get an idea that you have it, and you're like, all right, you know, maybe this will be all right. But um, as long as you can justify, no, no answer is wrong. I'm gonna say, well, it's from uh, out of favorite sketches, I'd say I have to go through two. Two, uh, maybe three. There may be a three because because the two are probably a tie from the the '90s cast, but from the early casts, I have to say Eddie Murphy. Any of his stuff, I used to love. Okay. Gumby, Buckwheat, Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood was one of my favorite mm-hmm. as favorites as a kid. Absolutely, absolutely love that. And in the mid '90s, it was for me. It was all about Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. I mean, I all their sketches were great. There, I mean, his his si- uh, Mike Myers Simon sketch was the reason my sister and I for a year straight talked in an English accent to, <laughs> to my mother's dismay, uh, just walking around going, "Was you looking at my bum?" <laughs> um, and just all of Dana Carvey's like the Church Lady and Wayne's World. I loved yeah. Wayne's World to death as a kid. So. Those are some of the great ones. I mean, people sometimes uh, sometimes will say, well, like, well, why isn't your favorite, like, you're a bigger guy like Chris Farley or John Belushi? I'm like, well, I can look at those, too. I look at the sketches that I, that I loved and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And obviously, Chris Farley was a, a great presence. And I, I do a lot. I try to do a lot of that when I can physical comedy, just throwing my, my body into stuff, uh, which I got to do. Um, a couple of years ago, I was Inspector Clouseau in the Pink Panther, mm-hmm. and just basically that's all slapstick, yeah. pratfalls and rolling. But uh, now I think those those three would probably be the ones if I had to like stand out my brain to like stuff that I always quoted. Yeah, those would be probably the the the, the top three. Top three, I'll say. Let's yeah, try to go for that's fine. I don't for yell ten and decades. For not having a single favorite. It's yeah. uh, it's hard because it's it's to me it wasn't about the people. It was about the individual, the sketches that were okay. Then that really. So stood then out. your favorite sketches would be. Wayne's World, like Wayne's World was definitely one. Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood would probably be another. Okay. Real, I just always love because I think part of me is because I'm probably one of the one of the few kids in my generation that hated Mr. Ro- Mr. Uh, why am I forgetting Mr. Rock? Keep calling Mr. Robinson. So Mr. Rogers, get Mr. Out. Rogers. Oh, it bored me. I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry. I need some, I need some, I need some Jim Henson puppet action. <laughs> I need some crazy colors and stuff going on. Um, I just forgot Mr. That's how much I loved him. I forget Mr. Rogers' name. <laughs> uh, so you've been doing this for a while. So what is something that you've uh, learned from doing comedy? Either you know some life general, wis- life wisdom, or something that you can pass on to a young writer. I mean, a young writer. It's it's. I mean, I don't know about. I don't necessarily know about life wisdom. I mean, I just know it as. Oh, I mean, it could be life wisdom as a performer. Just like, really, kind of 
being open. You got to be open when you're writing. And as much as some stuff now, it's there is so many landmines in comedy you can accidentally step on Mm -hmm. with a lot of things. Uh, You really have to be careful what you do and how you present a message. Mm -hmm. Like there is a sketch that I wrote, and I won't go into too detailed because it is fairly it was fairly offensive. But it was a sketch that I was trying to make fun of the old Annette Funicello surf movies because it was like back in the 50s. And it was like, everything's great because it's the 50s. I'm like, yeah, it's great if you're white. And and it was kind of like that sketch. But I did it. I did the parody of it like like a real horrible thing was happening on stage. But they're still like, everybody's surfing. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, no, there's horrible things going on in the Mm. background you don't realize. And when I explain the idea to people, they're like, oh, my God, that'd be great if you could do it. But they're literally that if you no, can do it. Yeah. The big if you can do it. And I like just I'm like, no way, because I would read the sketch and we're like, dude, that's that's messed up. You can't do that. And I'm like, well, here's what I wanted to do. But like, oh, yeah, crap, that would be great. Yeah. I don't know if you could do that. Well, you just explained. Right. And so there's there's certain things you can and can't do. But as a young writer, I, I I'm glad I didn't give up. And I've, I've kept persevering, especially to the moment now. There's a sketch that, that is looking to be in this upcoming show that everybody in the room love. And there's just something, uh, uh, I guess for me personally, just a good, a good vibe, a good really uplifting feeling when there's people that you respect and or revere that are your peers. Mm-hmm. And they, you come in with an idea and there's literally they're like nothing they want to do to this idea. Like maybe even like a, a hair tweak. Like, oh, why don't you just give that line to this guy instead? Right. And just absolutely loved the idea, thought it was hilarious. And this is after a lot for someone like myself who is very, very unsure about his writing at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I, I, I always have a tendency to compare myself and, and, and very nervous in, about bringing ideas because there's certain things I'm like, all right, I don't think this came out really funny. And I, the more I write it, rewrite it, the more I hate it. Right. And there's been a lot of sketches that have been that way, and it's it's been tough trudging through to where I don't want to be the dead weight. You're afraid of being it, but just keep going. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't ever stop. And the best lesson I learned about writing is don't be afraid to literally throw every single thing in that first draft. Make that the kitchen sink draft, and just write like if you whatever. Right, because yeah, you can always cut. Because you, you can, can always, always cut. You can always cut from more, and the, when you finally like workshop it out. Yeah. Because that joke might land. It might be good. It might be banned. But you don't know until you put it in there. And that was for a while we started to be afraid of that. Like, in, And it started with Fun with a Pickle where we were afraid of jokes because like things weren't going well. So we we're like, well, does this make sense for this story? And, da, da, da. Mm-hmm. and I started overanalyzing stuff and trying to make this logical 45-minute play in two minutes, yeah. two to three minutes. And it just doesn't work that way. No. So just throw it all in there. It's like throw it to the wall and see what sticks when you're first going. And, and then try to do workshops. Like some workshops could really, really kind of help you out. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best workshops I did, and obviously not you can't always do something like this, but I did a workshop up in Toronto with Bruce McCullough. And it was absolutely fantastic. Like what he, his approach to writing, his, his way of doing things of just like, just like coming up with just like premises not even maybe a sent maybe mm-hmm. a sentence premise just just write them out like we did an exercise we had to write as many premises as we could in 15 minutes just keep going just go write premise after premise of line 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 and then he picks some out of it and it just kind of just gets your brain to keep thinking to never stop never stop putting it and thinking of those scenarios because you can kind of you think of that one idea and you don't write anything else down 
and you just get stuck there, it can be a void that can suck you in and get you stuck. Mm-hmm. So just keep keep writing. Just always keep writing. Always keep finding those ideas and just kind of putting them down. And for God's sakes, don't be like me and get a damn notebook because there's always those times you're about to go to bed and you're like, I'm going to remember that. Nope. Nope. And I haven't learned my lesson. Nope. I have that too. Uh, certain people get texts from me like, I had the greatest idea last night and I can't remember it anymore. Like, uh, it, uh, And then finally, um, why comedy? You mentioned being an actor in theater. You mentioned mm-hmm. doing music. Why is comedy stuck? I don't know. Um, I guess I can go back to, go. I can probably go back to my dad. Uh, growing up, he it's it's funny. He was even though he was the jock, like he was looked at in baseball by the Cardinals. He was looked at in football by the Chargers. Uh, it was other vices that led to uh, his eventual downfall. But this is a comedy podcast. So we won't go that far. But what he did have was was a wonderful sense of humor. Mm-hmm. He's the one that got me watching. I was watching the Marx Brothers at, at six years old. Like, what 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 kid my age at the time? You know, I was born in '84. What kid was watching the Marx Brothers at six? Like, a lot of I could, my friends had no idea who they were. But I but he he always was the entertainer. He loved to make a room light up and laugh. Mm. He there's a very famous uh, Polaroid of him at my front door with one leg forward, one leg bent. And like his hand, like he's pinching his eye and launching it out. Mm-hmm. Well, they were playing charades, and no one was getting what he was trying to do. He was terrible at it. He left the house and kept coming back in the house and going like that, okay, back and forth, pinching his eye and going forward. And then finally, the time was up, and I'm like, "What was that?" He goes, "Return of the Jedi." Return of the Jedi, and and everybody <laughs> lost their minds. And then there was a very famous video, and he was just generally silly all the time. There was a very famous video when, you know, like, back in the late 80s, early 90s, when everyone's dad got a camcorder for the first time, and it was like, what is this toy device? Well, my dad, well, we were watching the tape. It was my sister's, I think it was her junior prom, Mm -hmm. and we're watching the tape, and all of a sudden, like, everyone's leaving. Everyone goes outside the limo and outside for pictures, and my dad's in there with the video camera, and we're watching this tape. All of a sudden, the camera turns to the mirror. (laughs) <laughs> and he starts going, hello there, how are you? <laughs> and he starts making hand gestures as he's holding the camcorder with one hand, making the other going, this is a duck. And he makes a little <laughs> duck with his hand. This is a crocodile with his hand. This is a dog. And he makes the dog puppet. And then he does this weird thing with his arm, does like a little chicken wing, goes, this is a neek-neek. And we're cracking up watching the video. We're like, what the hell is an eek-neek? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> he just entertained himself all the time so he was always a big fan that was the one thing we always did was watch a, a ton of comedy movies and i always loved being the class clown because i thought it was it was so much fun to just be silly mm-hmm. i just love being just just love being stupid and silly you know just making those weird things doing those those pratfalls when i was a kid i loved doing sound effects and sound effects eventually evolved to me doing like character voices mm-hmm. and and freaking people out to this day with 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 that I remember um just at a room in a room with a going away party. My friend was going to an internship with Conan O'Brien, and we're all having a party and we're playing quarters. And this one kid, I totally just froze in horror when I, I don't know if it was in horror, just in shock when all of a sudden I started doing like doing Cleveland Brown. I'm like, oh, I love playing quarters. <laughs> and he just like stopped, like he'd never heard someone do that before. And then I got him to drink because he, because I was like, made it, you do it. <laughs> but it's one of those things where just it's, 
I don't know. It's always been second nature to me where I just like being I like being silly. I like making people laugh. I like doing stupid things. I like just just that reaction. I don't know. It's it's fun to make other people smile and just have a really a, a good time because I think when people are laughing there there's n- there's no better feeling in the world. There's not there's no anger in the room. There's just everybody kind of laughing together and just really sharing in that moment and it's always been a lot of fun and it's always fun for me to just come up and find different ways of doing it throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and throughout that time I was the class clown for a little while. Uh, bullying put an end to that, but still with my friends behind the scenes outside of school, I still was the funniest, <laughs> the funniest guy in the room, and it just is fun to do that kind of stuff. So that's why it, comedy just seemed logical because, I, I not to say like oh it's easy, but it's just it's something that always naturally came to me. Like I always, I, I always like just being silly at all points. So just jumping into comedy to me is a lot easier than jumping into a drama just because it's always something I like to do. All right. Thanks, Rich. Hey, no problem. Thank you for having me. Rich Lee can be seen next as the Flat Earth returned to the fit stage November 10th and 11th and November 17th and 18th. All shows are 9 p.m. and tickets are available at fitcomedy.com. Don't forget, Dirtiest Sketch in Philadelphia returns to Philly Sketch Fest Presents on November 18th at 10 p.m. at the Playground at the Adrian. More information for that will be available soon at phillysketchfest.com. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com or on Twitter at phlsketchfest. Also, for more information about comedy in Philly, head to woodercooler.com. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Be sure to like my first sketch on Facebook. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Join us next week when I talk to Don Montre. But in the meantime, go see some comedy. <laughs>